a data-driven podcast with our girl, Melissa Malacena. Did I say that right? I think so. Perfect. We're talking all things mortgages and the housing market. Are things overinflated? Will they crash? You got to listen to find out. Yeah, kid. Welcome, welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Handsome Home Buyer Podcast. My name is Charles, aka the Handsome Home Buyer, aka Captain Perfect, aka You're getting good though. Did you feel that time that it was it's summertime? Listening to more Spanish music. So are you I'm feeling it? Yeah, summertime. Dude, you're looking golden brown right now. Actually, I don't try. I'm just brown. You look like 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 a like a just a, a gorgeous caramel. Thank you. Coffee with the right touch of cream. <laughs> thing i'm very jealous because all i do is get whiter and spottier by the day do you get tan no you do not get tan do i get the tan? french are not known for their tanness they're not not known though do french get tan yes i've been to france twice there is there's some like tan people there yeah twice so today's podcast guest I don't know anything about, so we're going to hash it out on the podcast, which is the way I like it. But I do know that she's passionate about two things that I also happen to be passionate about. One is real estate data. The second is Mike Arado from Captain Permit. <laughs> you know who else is a super passionate person, by the way? Captain, that, that guy that she loves? No, the cartoon version of Captain Permit. 516-513-8838. If you need plans, you need permits, if you need anything permit related, we're quick. We're easy. We're a good time. I guess all everything is quick and easy. It's a good time. We got you from tip to tip. And by that, I mean Queens to Montauk. Interior alterations, new construction, legalizations. You name it, we do it. The towns are a nightmare. They're getting worse every single day. My recent video of fuck the MLS is out there. Fuck we are probably going to need to post a fuck the townships Bond. video. Not all the townships, just, just some of the townships. Um, obviously, I'm the handsome home buyer. So, if you have a house that smells like cat pee, is dated from the 1960s, six inches of mold on the wall, human waste floating past the basement steps. That's your line. I want to buy it. 516-777. Sold. All right. Shouldn't have that. Let me see. I don't want to butcher this. Hold on. I'm going for it. Melissa. Hold on. Let me pull out my Instagram. I don't know why I can't do this. It's not going to help you pronounce it. No, no, it's going to. I'm, I'm a visual person. I'm a very... Malacena. No. <laughs> Damn it. What is it? Malacena. Fuck. Hold on. You're yeah. making it more complicated There's than it an is. E. It's so long. I actually thought it was Italian because there were so many, like, there were so many vowels up. in there. And you look Italian. Yeah, a little bit. I feel like, yeah, I feel like you would, you're one like- One side of the family. Like Northern Italian. Oh, one side of the family is Italian? Yes. So you're not 100% French? No. So I tried to get you on the podcast a while ago, right? Because, so Instagram- it's a few months ago. Huh? It's a few months ago. It was a while ago. So Instagram's the greatest thing in the world. Found a glazier on there yesterday, just as somebody broke a window, which was really cool. And uh, then you keep posting all this lovely data. And I was like, who is this girl with this data? I was like, I need to talk to her about this data. This is great. Um, and then you turned me down. I didn't turn you down. I just wasn't ready. <laughs> but I never, I did not say no. You go back to our conversation, I did not say no. 
You didn't say no, but you were just like, I'll let you know. And like a busy, it was kind of like one of those things like when you meet a, when a guy meets a girl and he's like, wow, she's like, no, but I, I talked you out of it. I definitely uh, scourged you. You talked me out of what? Having you on the podcast? No, I wanted you on the podcast. I know. It's kind of like one of those scenarios where like you meet a girl and you're like, oh, like, let's go out. Let's like have dinner. Let's like do this. Let's like go rock climbing so I can, we can hold each other's lives in our hands and I can stare at your ass and then make comments <laughs> about how you shouldn't be staring at my ass. Um, and you were like, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I have to get my hair done. I did not say that. But it, it, it was basically along those lines. So I felt rejected, but I'm not I sensitive. But now we're here. I regretted it. We're I gonna- should have been more enthusiastic. I, I appreciate like, that. Oh, don't humor me. You don't have to humor me. I'm not. The important point is that we're here now. Yes. So what do you do exactly? Mortgage banking. Operations manager. Okay. Okay. So what does your job entail exactly? Just oversee the loan process from start to finish. Which is interesting because in my opinion, like I always say this, um, I think the the hardest part of the loan process or like the most annoying part of the loan process is the processing itself, right? Just back end stuff. It's very, very difficult. Like I first, like for me, I feel like there's a huge need for, um, if somebody had a company that just did processing. They exist, but. They're not good. No, they are not. So think about that for a second. Cause you have, so I, I talk to guys that have mortgage banks and they're out there with sales teams that are just initiating loans, right? So that's like, boom, boom, they're out there. Eric Braun's out there, Ryan Riddle's out there. Like those guys are out there initiating loans. And then that's really what their job is. Their job is to bring in business. They obviously have to monitor the loan process, but I haven't found a bank yet that I feel like really has that processing down. So I feel like there's always like a huge need for someone to go out there and like start like a well-oiled machine of loan processing. Every lender has their different set of rules. It's not a streamlined process. It's just not. And you have to have a team that works cohesively. You also have your underwriters. And for them to be able to work closely with the processors, it's, it's just important. You have to have everyone together on the same page. I wouldn't, so banks I've worked for, I have sent loans out for processing and underwriting. Um, That was with investors who we sell our loans to. And it's easier for us, it's less work Mm -hmm. on our part, but it costs money, so. Let me me ask you this question, because I'm very curious about this. Explain to me, like, what's the process? The loan comes in, so now it's ready to rock and roll. Eric Braun's out there. He brings in the deal, not your average lender. Brings in the deal, he's like, all right, process time. I'm curious to know what's what's the process for processing the loan, and then, like, where does the loan go when it's done? Like you were saying, it gets gets sold off to investors. (laughs) Like, am am I, like, really putting you on the spot here right now? No. Okay. Um, so once received the application, Got have it. all the documentation that we need, and the loan is structured, it goes to processing. Got it. Where it's a lot of you know, pushing papers and preparing it for underwriting. Mm-hmm. That would be the next step. Underwriting is exactly what? They're looking at the loan in its entirety. They're from 
a regulation standpoint, compliance, and you need an underwriter's approval for a loan to be clear to close. So it has to like kind of like, the reason why I'm asking you this is because I don't really understand the loan process. All I know is that I get pissed when my loans take forever to close when I'm selling the houses. So I kind of feel like this is kind of like the permit world where everybody screams at us and says we take forever, but in actuality, it's not really our fault. Everyone loves to blame the lender. Exactly. I'll say that. So I, I am starting to think that it's not really your fault. It's just like a, it's just a process or it's not just lender's fault. Not you specifically, obviously. Um, so I think it's interesting for people to understand everything you guys have to go to to actually go through to actually get a loan approved. Loan officer brings in the loan application is submitted. They qualify goes to processing, which depending on the loan, shouldn't take that long, mm -hmm. ideally. If it's structured properly and we have all the right documentation from the borrower, that's a big thing. It is, I won't say with everyone, but it can be a struggle to get things from them on time when they come up. Yeah. So if we have, conditions in processing, then it's not going to be able to move on to underwriting. Got it. And we also, I mean, not every, there's different types of lenders. Some of them service their own loans. I have not worked with, I have, I've never worked for a servicer before. Okay. So let, let's say you get a loan through, just put a big name out, like Wells Fargo. Yeah. They, most likely would hold on to the loan so they don't have to worry about selling it to an investor. They only work with their own set of rules, whereas smaller lenders, mm -hmm. correspondent, undelegated, we rely on our investor's approval. We have to be able to sell the loan. That's how we make our money. Got it. So once it complies with all of their standards and requirements, then... No, we can move from step to step, but you have your processing, underwriting, it's clear to close, then it goes to the closing department. And we can so, ideally schedule the loan. So processing essentially gathers all the documents together and make sure that it's like a comprehensive package to be served up to the underwriter for review to make sure that it like checks all the boxes that your ultimate buyer of the note is gonna want, and then it goes. Does that make sense? Yes, uh, but a big part of underwriting is also complying with state and fe federal laws, regulations. If everything, like if a borrower, if a loan officer is on point and a borrower has all their docs ready to go from, from jump, is it the, like, what's the part that takes the longest time? So if people are looking to cut down on the amount of time it takes a loan to close. Where is like, where's the bottleneck? Where's the thing that takes the longest time? Underwriting. Underwriting actually. takes the longest time? Only because there's not that many underwriters not with always. a ton of loans feeding through? That their job is to find the things that are not found in processing. So that's when you know they have to make sure everything is accurate and complete. So usually, there's a lot of hard stops in underwriting, and that's why it's common for loan officers, especially, to get frustrated with underwriters because they slow down, 
getting their loan through. Are these hard stops in the sense that they're like, all right, they go back to the loan officers and they say, give us, we need more documentation about like this or that or this? Yes. Got it. So they were like addressing more docs. Okay. And then ultimately the loan is sold to an investor in most cases um, at a premium. That's how we make our money. Yeah. Do you have, and and if you, well, A, I should preface this. I know you're in the mortgage business. So like if you're not allowed to talk about certain things, you guys have like all kinds of regulations about stuff that like I don't understand or know about. Being careful. Yeah. So if you, you, you could just be like, I can't talk about it. It's fine. I'll be, I totally understand that. Um, so I want to talk about the housing market. Uh, okay, let's do that. She just lit up with excitement. <laughs> you could have just said, screw you on the loan talk, Charles. We're going straight to the housing market. Um, Love mortgages, but that is an exciting topic. So you, okay, so basically, so what Yeah, what are you passionate? Because I feel like you're very passionate about this data stuff, which I love because I'm like, it's this girl is like a newer passion. secret weapon. She like knows shit. Like she knows the real median sales price in Nassau and Suffolk versus <laughs> what I thought it was. So talk about your what's your what's your background, by the way? Not like um, not like uh, nationality background, but like educational background. Educational. I have a degree in psychology. Oh, really? <laughs> Here I am today. <laughs> where did you go to, where did you go to school? Suffolk and Stony Brook. There you I go. Graduated. Um, I worked Right out of high school, I started working in retail for Abercrombie & Fitch. Ended up staying. I, I loved it. That's like a big younger. deal. You can't just work for like, I, I'm like, I'm like, I, so I worked at Kenneth Cole and I wanted to work at Abercrombie & Fitch, but like, really? I wasn't like handsome enough to work at Abercrombie & Fitch. Like you need to be like tall and like blonde or like be able to wear your no shirt at the front door and it smelled so nice in there. And like, I remember there's two jobs that like I sort of wanted to have that I never got to do, which was A, work at Abercrombie and Fitch with a guy <laughs> with no shirt on in front of the door that has a giant picture of himself with no shirt on. And two, be a bartender. Bartender. And I never got to do that. I wanted to flip the bottles like Tom Cruise and Cocktail. It's never too late. That is true. And even more on top of that, I really, really, really wanted to work at a gay bar because I don't drink. And I feel like because of that, I would have crushed it. Like, I feel like I would have made a ton of money in a gay bar. But didn't you work in some sort of... I worked at a male strip club, but... <laughs> that sounds more exciting, though. <laughs> it actually... It was interesting, but it wasn't a great job. So I worked at a male strip club when I was 19 called Escapes in Merrick, which is no longer there. Moment of silence. Longest running male review on Long Island. So like seven or 800 women would come in every night, Friday and Saturday night. And seven or 800? 100 women. Let me tell you something. Women Jeez. in a strip club, like a male strip club... You guys are animals. Like you guys are absolutely. Are there any savage, around here? Savage, Never been to one. savage animals. I think Billy Dean's in Belmore does like a once in a while male review thing. So anyway, there'd be guys running around with banana hammocks on stage, doing this thing. I was like as sheltered as could be. I got the job because I worked in a Seven Eleven, and the owner lived down the block and used to buy Slurpees every day. And he used to come in. I used to talk to him. You like, were Yo, sheltered. I mean, we're, we live on Long Island. We're all sheltered. Oh, yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it is what it is. So uh, I worked in Mail Strip Club for a year, which you would think would be an amazing job, but it really, it, it all I did was get into trouble meeting girls that had boyfriends that <laughs> showed up at the bar later that didn't tell me that they had a boyfriend. 
Um, it was kind of a little bit of like a dirty place, you can imagine, with like 700 no or 800 people sweating on each other the whole time. So I would get sick like once every two months. I would get a cold. And I really didn't make any money. Fucking great experience, though. I'd imagine so. How many guys can say they worked at a male strip club? Or would want to, for that matter. Back to you. So. Did the women tip well? No, that's the problem. Historically, I've been told that women are not great tippers. Used to someone else doing it, so. <laughs> I, I mean, who, who knows? I, I just. They didn't bring in sacks of singles no. and they didn't make it rain. I was also like the 19-year-old cocktail waiter guy. Like, they were. You were 19? Th- yeah, they were throwing money at Johnny Rotten. Johnny Rotten was one of the dancers. (laughs) Those guys seem to do very well. At the end of the night, they had a bag filled with freaking singles. Um, Sometimes I made like 20 bucks. I think the most money I ever made there was $110 in a night. I think that was like the record. They had cakes with like chocolate penises on them. It was very strange. But Just stay for an entire year. It's a long time. The year goes fast. Just think about it. COVID was a year and a half ago. Doesn't it seem like it was yesterday? No. COVID went slow for me. (laughs) Love, you think COVID went slow? No, I, like blinked and it's over. Over, dude. You guys the, the didn't have to it. work remote. That was fine. Oh, yeah, like working remote work. sucks. I mean, some people really love it. I would lose my goddamn mind. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to go back to the office. I can never do wait it. wait for it to be over. Uh, it See is people. over. It's over. It is, now it is. Now it is. By the time people go back to the office, that second strain of whatever the hell they're talking about is going to be back. And they're like, everyone's got to go back home. This is going to continue forever. Not. You know how I know this? Because the guy, you ever see the guy, the ER guy on TikTok? Tips from the ER. He says tips from the ER. So he like is funny and curses and talks about um, what happens in the ER. And he or he's already talking about this second strain and how people are like getting more sick about it and all that. So I hope it doesn't go there. Any event, how do you end up in mortgages coming from psychology? I never, I knew, I still had a lot of well, a year or two left. I knew I was not going to be using that degree professionally, but I had already come so far, gotten it. I wasn't going to change my major again. I really liked working, and I worked my way up the management ladder. Okay. Had a lot of fun with it. Um, worked all over Long Island. Mm-hmm. It's an experience, but for Abercrombie, different company. Were you in Roosevelt Field? For some time, yeah. Uh, they closed that store. I didn't. When I worked there, I was with True Religion, actually. Okay. Don't I, you miss retail? No. I miss it so much. Why? I loved it. Working in the mall was fucking awesome. I worked at Kenneth Cole. Cross was Mac, right? So we used to hang out with the Mac girls. And they were in that glass thing that looked like a fishbowl. Oh, would, gotcha. I would go over there and they would put makeup on me. It was fun. It was definitely fun. Wouldn't say fulfilling, though. <laughs> no? All right. So how do you find yourself in mortgages? Um, I was 24, 25. I, I was done with retail. I just wanted to do something else. I was interested in real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, the owner of a lender, someone, I, a family, friends, Long term, he knew that when well, I found out that I was interested in getting into real estate, mm-hmm. he said, come in, work for a mortgage bank, see if you're interested in working on the mortgage side. And I started out 
not much of a position doing anything. Uh, the plan was to familiarize myself with the business and become a loan officer, but I immediately gravitated towards the operations yeah. side. I don't see you being a loan officer. No, it's not, uh, not me. I just, not a very salesy, I feel. I mean. <laughs> so you, uh, it's interesting that it, it, it starts to make sense to me about, um, tell people about basically the data and the stuff that you, that I actually literally look for every day now on, on social media. Like you post those stories about all different kinds of like housing trends and market trends and mortgage trends and things like that. And I feel like you're like my secret weapon now and be like, she's gonna tell me when it's going to shit so that we can just sell everything and abort before the market blows up. It's not going to blow up. I know it's not gonna blow up, but I'm just saying in life, because this is like a long-term relationship you and I here. So. Track, home prices, sales, Big one is inventory right yeah. now, um, especially here, Long Island, Nassau and Suffolk, especially Nassau. There's nothing left when it comes to affordable inventory, I should say. We have a lot of luxury listings, over mm -hmm. a million, but for you know your median income, average, first time home buyer, they can't to them if you're making you know around uh, a little over a hundred grand a year mm -hmm. you can't afford to go over say roughly um 450 500 max depending on you know what you're putting down and other factors but a lot of most of the inventory and active listings right now are over 600. yeah in Nassau County. Yeah. So absolutely in Nassau County. It's not as bad in Suffolk. How long have you been really into the data side of this? Since about January. <laughs> this is like a new love. Oh yeah. So have you looked so have you been looking back over the last couple of years? Have you seen what's trending and you're just looking at it from a go forward standpoint? Been looking at what's trending, but what interested me to begin with was in operation. It's a lot of compliance that I do, okay. and on the lending side, things changed a lot after two thousand and eight, okay. and that's I wanted to understand why so everyone would always talk. Oh, you know, we didn't have to do this, or things were like this before two thousand eight, but mortgage lending completely changed. Yeah. And I want to know what caused 2008 in the market and the financial crisis and what part lenders actually played in it. And from there, my interest in the market and did you, cause and effects just did you come up. up. Did you come up with a conclusion as to what part you think lenders played in that? Really wasn't the lenders. No. <laughs> it, they just. It it was a free for all that played a part, um, but it was. What isn't talked about often when talking about two thousand eight is credit talk? capacity, which is very. How much debt people. Owned so we were just lending. 
too much money to people and they couldn't afford to pay it back. Oh, so you're talking about like people actually taking personal responsibility for like the shit that they buy versus trying to blame somebody else for it. Or buying houses they couldn't afford. Yeah, without a doubt. And lending was different, so. So I think the big question I think a lot of people have right now is because people are like, oh, the more people hit me up on DMs all day long and they're like, Charles, I'm a new investor. Should I wait for the market to crash? You said I buy now. And I'm like, dude, the market's not going to crash. Like, There's no like systemic Trends reason. Crazy. There's no, I mean, I think it's awesome because I mean, let people think that, right? But there's no systemic reason that the market would crash right now. No, there, it's not going to. And a lot of, there are many people insistent on believing that it's going to because of home prices and People look at these, wow, prices have gone up so much. That means all of these people are buying houses at a price that they can't afford, but that's not true. If people cannot afford to buy houses at their current prices, then we would have a whole lot more inventory and they just wouldn't be buying them because you can't. Lending is... Lending is there to make sure that they can actually pay back their mortgage. So why would they be qualifying for loans that they can't pay back? It's, this is one thing that we learned from 2008. People are only given debt, a mortgage, that they can afford or they're not going to qualify. So, so so just to put people's minds at ease right now, right? Because I think a lot of people, I think everybody has like 2008 so burned into their brain. Oh, yeah, they do. Um, that things are different on the loan side. Yes. And that people. Lending standards are significantly tighter. While I just sold a house in Brentwood for $585,000 that someone would say that's going to be a foreclosure. You are. Yeah, right. You are, are con- <laughs> you are confirming basically that people are not, as a whole, banks are not lending to people who can't afford. So what do you, like, what do you think about the market in general and prices going up? Because prices are going up like crazy. Do you think that they're going to continue to go up? Do you think they're going to level off? What do you think is going to happen with like rates over the next, you know? Prices from- will start to level out over the next six months or so yeah. i think in but not when, drop level no. out a drop just like chill they're not going to increase as rapidly as they have been yeah and that is going to have to do with the fact that mortgage rates will increase um not a lot just slightly but that does that will influence Directly influences home prices. <laughs> when do you think rates are going to go up? Start to go up? Now, like right now? Shit. Not right. Not a lot though. It's going to be small. Very... What, like every quarter, they're going to tick up on us. Well, rates change every day. So, and they've been a little rocky lately, but the average right now has been still under 3%. Which it, is crazy. Last week it was over 3%, but it's back down. I We will, especially going into, I feel like you're going to hold me to this, around September, um, it'll definitely be over 3%. Not a lot, though. It's, go, it's not going to be 
as much of an increase as people think. They're not going to go up that much. There's no, as of right now, the way the economy is and the 10-year yields, we are not going to see a large increase at all. Um, so my theory on it is, what the hell do I know, really, is I'm that short-term, yeah, like I agree with you short-term. I think the market is is going to start to like mellow out a little bit. Yeah, because, that's all. Yeah, because it can't just keep going up like that forever. But yeah, as rates go up, they're going to, uh, so basically the government uses rates to stimulate the economy is essentially what they do. Two, two ways. Well, it's, it's uh, what buying rates, and, what buying kind of and selling. What rates are we talking about? Buying and selling bonds. So essentially buying and selling bonds and spending yes. money. Those are the two ways that the government essentially tries to regulate the economy. So I think as, rate, as rates go up, it'll slow down a little bit, but I don't think it's going to crash. I'm the same way with you. I think it's going to like stay steady or increase just at a lower level. And then more inventory will come onto the market as this forbearance thing hopefully ends. And then we'll, if, what are you looking at me like it's never going to end? Don't you dare say it's never going to end. No, it's going to end, but there's not, we're not going to see a lot of inventory from that. There's not going to be all these foreclosures that people seem to think are going to flood the market, it's not going to happen. So There's I guess. a very small percentage of people in forbearance right now. And when they are required to actually start paying their mortgage again, mm -hmm. they will. I don't think it's necessarily new stuff as a result of COVID per se. I think there was a huge backlog still from 2008 that didn't get, yeah, like I did, I took three. I, did, I took three towns, right, as like a just a test. I took three towns, and I was like, okay, who has an LP on their house, and which one of these? How how many of these were initiated? Actually, you know what? Strike that. Reverse it. I took all the houses that were lent on from '04 to '08, right? Okay. With me in in three towns. Okay. That had LP filings on them at one point. At one point. At one point, yeah. And how many of those still had an active LP filing or were like either foreclosed on or short sailed? There was like 60% of those are still like floating around. Now that was like, that was three random towns on Long Island, right? At different, at different price points. One was Roosevelt, one was... Roosevelt, okay. One was Roosevelt, one was um, uh, Belmore, and the other one was... Um, was town out east. I don't remember what the third one was. But I took three random towns at like different price points in the market, right? Did you just look at what single family? Single family. Yeah, not commercial. Just single family and I was like, how much is like how much is still pent up? Cuz we've like I've been involved in short sales with people that haven't paid in like 10 years, 12 years. The record was 18 years. Actually, um someone reached out to me recently, but well, very recently. They have been in a foreclosure battle since 2013. Haven't paid a mortgage since then. Yeah. Not a single payment. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's freaking, it's it's crazy. So you have a, forget about COVID, you have like a, you have all that backlog and then you have like a consistent, you have a consistent, pretty consistent, steady default rate regardless, right? So, and then no one's done anything for like a year and a half. So I don't think it's gonna flood the market because our our system is just slow as hell. But I do think that it'll, it'll start to like trickle out. But like to your point, it's going to take time. It's going to take like a couple of years to start to like try and get some of this stuff out onto the market. And 
there are going to be systems in place where even when forbearance ends, if people can't afford to pay their mortgage for a, as a result of COVID, financial yeah. distress, they can apply for assistance through their servicer yeah. or the state. So people are still going to have options for staying in their homes. Do you know, do you know the stats for like how many people are in forbearance, like as a percentage or as, I don't know what metric they're using. Yes, it's under 4% right now, but for the GSEs, which are the majority, it's about 2%. What's a GSE? Uh, Fannie and Freddie loans. Oh, okay. So government sponsored. It's how much? 2% roughly. I, um, do they consider that to be a little or a lot? It's very little. Yeah, that seems that's to be a little. very, very little. Yeah, I just, I don't know how they measure it. And. So most people are paying their mortgages through COVID. They are. And wow. every, every single week, that number drops more and more. It's, uh, have a little bit of a bet with someone right now that they're going to forbearance for the GSEs is going to be under 2% next week. What's the bet? It's not really a bet. It's uh. sort of. There's no, there's, trying, there's no stakes. No, there's no stakes. <laughs> so what about, do you deal with the commercial side at all or no? It's strictly residential. Residential, yep. Just residential ones. What do you think? So here's my thing also. Do you think, do you think there is going to be inflation? For what, housing? Just like in, so uh, I'll, I'll digress. I think, and again, who knows what's gonna happen, but I, I think that at some point, not right now, but like somewhere between three to five years from now, maybe closer to four to five years from now, I think the rates are really going to have to come up because I think there's going to be like a big inflation problem because I think that the government just f really flooded with too much money and they're still doing it. There will be. I mean, I think you see, I think people see it now, but I think just, it's going to be we, a real problem. I mean, for me, I mean, it's you can't predict just how bad it's going to be. But yes, of course, there's inflation right now, especially, but people are making it out as if, you know, living is unaffordable because of it. And we're not there yet. And if I, maybe we won't get there. What do you, I'm actually curious to know your take on affordability in Long Island. Like, do you see, from what I hear and see, like people's salaries aren't going up to match the increase, right? And if you don't, if you don't know, they that, are. you think so? Yeah, the median income has, if when you're, if you take COVID out of the equation, we're only referring to people who are actively employed. Okay. On Long Island, the median income has increased. We actually have this area, New York, I'll just say New York, the metro yeah. area, we do have one of the highest median incomes in the country. So we're up there. It's hard to get extremely accurate data on that because I mean, that takes time. But from 2019, that was the last time accurate numbers came out. Okay. Complete numbers came out on median incomes in the entire country. We were up there and every single year we have increased, medium, median income has increased significantly. <laughs> so people are making more money here. It's not 
dropping, there are parts of the country in the Midwest where the median income has decreased, but it's rare. <laughs> so basically, what you're telling me and everybody else out there in the world, because this is, this is a world to listen to show. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. That um, everybody needs to stop freaking out because the market's not going to crash. People aren't buying houses that they can't afford, and they are actually buying houses that they People are can't making afford. more money than ever. People saved a whole lot of money during COVID, believe it or not. If they were oh, yeah. actively employed and even yeah, talk about unemployment, but people were still had an income and they were saving. They weren't, what were they doing? We can't go anywhere. People weren't buying new cars. Um, people were definitely buying houses, but. Yeah, no vacations, none of that. Savings rate. A lot of babies was really high. A lot of babies coming out of COVID. No? Notice that. I didn't think it was going to be that way, but I don't know. I know a lot of people who have been announcing pregnancies. Lately. I felt like it was either going one way or the other. Either they were coming out divorced or they were coming out with a kid. But there's no like there's no there's no middle ground. There's I don't know who puts out this data, but there's actually data on pregnancy test sales and over the last few months they have skyrocketed. Maybe that's because people, I mean. So I'm curious to know, where do you get all this wonderful data that you post? I. Like if people are interested in the housing market and mortgage rates and how, you know, one leans on the other, where do you think is the best place for them to go look? I've learned a lot from someone, lead analyst at Housing Wire. He has mm -hmm. worked with me a lot, helps me finds the data and it's really extremely knowledgeable and has educated me a lot. And from him and all can read all of his articles. He comes out with it's pending home sales, mm -hmm. new home sales, uh, construction, not so much lumber in the future. Um, all of that is puts out great pieces and that's where I get all of the charts. And then there's Twitter. Brought me into the Twitter world. I and freaking figure it out. All, uh, all of the economists who I follow and get this data from, all of the, you know, there's chief economist at Freddie Mac. He's amazing. Um, and First American, all these large real estate housing company they're you know related to housing all of that can just you know i just follow hit the follow button for all of them mm -hmm. so then right when i open twitter all of the new data is right in front of me because that's what they're posting oh interesting yeah i can't like you uh you waged your first the first twitter battle i ever had yesterday with me which was that's cool it's not a battle I don't know. It felt to me like a battle, but that's good. It's like, I was it was, helping you. Oh, thank you. Um, so I was like, yes, my first Twitter war. Because I know people get really heated on Twitter and flip out on each other. For those also, of you who are on like, Twitter. So you were not getting any attention on anything. Nothing. <laughs> Hit me up. Handsome underscore HB. Right? I haven't mastered the Twitter thing. I actually, you know what it is? I, I know what I have to do on Twitter. It's just very time consuming. Like link your Twitter to all your videos. I don't know how to use the goddamn thing. 
Well, first I have to figure out how to use it. So if you could help me, that would be great. And then second, I know, cause I, I started doing this like, let's say last week, just as like a test. And I'm like, oh, this really works. Well, you go in and you find people that are commenting on things that you're interested in. And then you just like kind of drop tidbits in there and then people like respond and then they like follow you back and they're like, thanks for giving me that. You know. right. Use hashtags. Can I use hashtags? So I told you about Twitter. So there's no, a, uh, TikTok too. There's certain good. There's certain things that I'm good at, and there's certain things that I suck at. Twitter is one of those things that I suck at. I mean, I can get better, uh, but I need help. We need a marketing person. Come on, someone no, take over. Uh, no, I got to do it. My I got to do it myself. It has to be authentic. I'll figure it out. Hashtags. 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 Use hashtags in Twitter. What? Use hashtags on Twitter yes, is what you're them. telling me. Yeah. Use them correctly. That's one a start anyway. <laughs> and then you have to, can, you have a ton of followers. Find them. On, they are on Twitter. Probably just couldn't find you. I actually, I tried finding you a while ago and I couldn't. On Twitter? Yeah. But wow. I just typed in handsome home buyer. Nothing. Was that when up. I first tried to get you on the podcast? And you're like, who is this oddly Probably. creepy man who's trying to get me to come on his podcast? No. So I have a question for you. My final question for you is, now that you found this recent love of data, and you're obviously very passionate about it, I can see that, what, um, like, what does the future hold for you? Like, what are you looking to do with this? Are you looking to dive more into that? Do you wanna be an analyst? Like, where does this, where does this take you? Where does your wealth of real estate- To be declared. I don't know, I really, I'm passionate about working in the mortgage industry. I do love that, but yeah. I do love data analysis, but I just, what I would do with that, you know, no. What is I'm, your What is your favorite part of working in the mortgage industry? Because the mortgage industry is tough. It's a tough business. It's tough. I like, like improving it, my team, not being like all of the other lenders who have <sighs> pipeline issues. And if you look at, you know, lender reviews for mm -hmm. bigger companies, you'll see a lot of complaints and we want to represent and oversee lender okay. who's doing things differently. That's what's I like implementing new systems, processes, just make it easier because it is complicated. There's a lot that goes into it. Mm -hmm. Things are always changing. That's yeah, that's a big part of my job, just keeping up with new regulations and new lender requirements. If it's you know with the Fannie or Freddie or mm -hmm. FHA, VA, and making sure that my loan officers are aware and up to date, sending them all of the current information. If it's for a while, it was just on Zoom, <laughs> um, you know, meeting with them at least once a week and just mm -hmm. going over all the changes because that's they can't bring in business if they're not current. I mean, they can, they, but. You know, they have to have the current knowledge to do the jobs, their job, the best of their ability. And I like working with them on that. One final question actually just popped in my mind when you're doing that. Do you, um, you ever process any 203K loans? Yes. We had this dude on last week, the 203K way, Matt. 
awesome. Like basically uses the two or three K loans to flip houses and teaches people how to do it. Is that process really a nightmare? I love two or three Ks. Do you? I, do. I, when I started, I went straight into the closing department. So I learned a whole lot about two or three Ks there because I had to understand all of the in and outs and how they worked to be able to look at the file in its entirety and make sure it was correct because there's a lot in, that goes into two or three Ks that can, there's just a lot. You have to, uh, if but they, they, one tiny mistake, deal could be, you know, dead. So, so they, they do get done. You just, you just really need to have someone that really knows what they're doing with these things. You have to have a 203K expert on your team. And I had that, I learned from one and I just enjoy, I like the numbers aspects and making sure everything falls into place on 203Ks. I just think it's fun. I like the more complex loans, like a challenge. It's like a puzzle, so. Nice. Well, I appreciate you coming down. It's very nice to actually finally sit down and meet with you in person. Thank you for the opportunity. So if people are looking to follow you and check out some of this amazing data, where can they find you on uh, on Twitter, on Instagram? Twitter and Instagram, mainly. Also on Facebook, just Melissa Malasina. That's it. But yeah, all the data is on Instagram. Your handle is Melissa Malasina? It's my full name. I know, it's a lot. All right, so for those of you <laughs> like me who can't figure out how to say this, Melissa, M-A-L-A-U-S-S-E-N-A -S -S -E on Instagram as well as Twitter. And if you see her picking on me on Twitter, make sure that you jump in and stick up for your boy at handsome underscore HB. Obviously, I'm the handsome home buyer. You have a house that smells like Cappy, dated from the 1960s, six inches of mold on the walls, humid waste floating past the basement steps. This is your line. You missed it last time. I'll buy it. I want to buy it. 516-777-SOLD. Love you, the man. I love you. That's a wrap. Mm -hmm.